Welcome to Totalus Rankium. This week, Constantine 9. Hello, and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine 11. This is episode 137, Constantine 9. I'm going to make the really funny joke I made before we started recording. Oh, that means we're only two away from Constantine 11, Rob. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> no. I'm not sure how many more we've got to go. Hmm? I think maybe about high 20s, maybe about 30. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. That's the end of an era when that happens. Yeah. I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I haven't thought to count, but we're getting close to the end. I know that much. So by this time next year, we would have finished? Uh, No, I think we'll be just coming to the end. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But still. Anyway, we should probably stop waffling on because this is going to be a long episode. Because we are doing the Monomachus. It's Constantine. Yes. His name is Constantine Monomachus. Monomachus. So, okay, mono means yeah. one. Yeah. And Maccus is a Roman overcoat for rain. <laughs> yeah. So. Singing he... in the rain. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. It's all on his own. But glorious feeling it is. <laughs> no. I mean, anyone been listening to these will have literally just heard me say at the end of the last episode, moments ago, what this name means. But there's been like a three week gap between us recording the last episode. So yeah, and I don't pay. Forgetting. I don't pay attention anyway. So. <laughs> no, it means the lone fighter. Ooh, that's a cool name. Yeah. I mean, you could that translate cool. it to like lone wolf kind of thing. Oh, but yeah. It's like or a cowboy. Either. Yeah, no, it's pretty good, isn't it? I am the lone, what was it, lone fighter. I fight people on my own. I get beaten up, I never win, but... <laughs> I've got no friends. I, it's not through <laughs> choice. Um, yeah, uh, as I said last time, and you'll probably be just as disappointed to learn, this is not a nickname he earns. Uh, this is a nickname one of his ancestors earned. Uh, oh. And it's now just a family name. Oh. Yeah. That's a bit rubbish. That is, but I mean, maybe there'll be a time where we can say, no, no, this is when he got the title. We'll see if we come across one. One Uh, day. This is an incredibly rare episode for the Roman series, where I'm not actually going to be able to cover everything that happens. Really? Yeah. Because we've got both Celis and Skylitzes, who both go into a huge amount of detail in different directions. (laughs) As I said at the end of the last episode, we arguably have more on Constantine IX than any other emperor. Which is just wow. weird. Uh, See, his I, name doesn't stand out, does he? he doesn't... Oh, no, I don't want to give anything away. And obviously, we're judge at the end. But it's, I'll just be brutally honest. His reign isn't particularly unusual. There's no massive standout things that make you go, oh, this is why it was recorded. Yeah. It's just a quirk of sources. What it does, though, it highlights just how much we miss with every single emperor. Every emperor we've covered. Even the types like Florianus have... Uh, stories like this that we just don't have. In fact, as historian George Finley writes in the late 1800s, I'll quote him here, The reign of Constantine IX demands more attention from the historian of the Byzantine Empire than the worthless character of the man or the feeble policy of his cabinet appears at first glance to require. It's very flowery language there. Oh yeah, that's 1800s. Um, <laughs> so, why is there so much on this guy? Well, it's mainly because Celis worked for him, and Celis is a good source. Okay, so after I've spent 
possibly about 10 minutes saying how we need to crack on because this is a long episode. Let's actually start, shall we? You might be surprised to learn, after everything I've just said, we actually have incredibly little on Constantine to begin with. We begin on the very lovely round date of 1000. Oh, that's brilliant. That's beautiful. That is good, isn't it? Oh, I love dates like that. I mean, we're not certain it's dead on 1000. It is an approximate birth date for Constantine, but I'm going to say it was slap on. January the 1st, <laughs> one minute past midnight. And you can imagine the party, the, the party beforehand as well, the hangovers that must be oh, present that day. Yeah, not good. Anyway, Constantine, born into a rich family. The Monomachi were, they, they were doing all right. Uh, Constantine's father was a man named Theodosius. Uh, he was a bureaucrat who worked for Basil II, the great Ooh. Basil II. Uh, and yeah, they did well under Basil II. Uh, they made a fortune. Um, but then the family fell on hard times when Theodosius was suddenly implicated in a plot to overthrow Basil. Oh dear. Yeah. There were many things that you don't want to be implicated in. In fact, the word implicated is just not a good one. <laughs> no. Never implicated in helping old ladies across the street. <laughs> no. Uh, but... Yeah, plotting to kill the Emperor is certainly not something you want to be implicated in. We get a bit more information when he grows up, because apparently he grew up to be quite the looker. We've had a few of these recently. Yeah. Um, All of them revolving around Zoe. (laughs) (laughs) Weird. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, apparently he was really rather handsome. Uh, Celus compares him to Achilles himself, and then goes on to say that Achilles obviously had a poet's language to enhance his beauty, whereas Constantine was different. In fact, I'll quote him here, having formed him in reality and brought him to perfection with fine skill of the sculptor, shaped him and made him beautiful, surpassing with her own peculiar art the imaginative effort of the poet. Apparently Mother Nature is what shaped him. Wow. So, yeah, high praise there. So he's sexy AF. Oh yes, very strong as well. I'll quote Salas again. There was no object, however hard or solid, which he could not easily crush with his hands and break into pieces. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I had no friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, apparently... As he, as he hit his twenties, he was more handsome than Achilles, and he just went around crushing solid, hard objects in his hands for sport. Anyway, his life would have been comfortable. He he was a member of the elite, but remember the family had fallen on hard times, so he wasn't accepted in the court. The family were somewhat ostracised, but they're still rich. I mean, they're still very comfortable. Um, and then at some point, a young Constantine married. Uh, we don't really know any details, apart from the fact at some point the marriage ended. Oh. So, there you go. Stuff Fill happens. in the blanks there if you so wish. <laughs> yeah, presumably she died. Uh, death is common. It happens to almost everyone. Uh, possibly childbirth, that was common. True, but yeah. I mean, pure speculation territory here. Uh, just know that he got married and then he wasn't married. Maybe um, he accidentally crushed her. Oh, maybe. Went to give her a hug and just snapped her like a twig. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Anyway, life moves on, and at some point he met the niece of a man named Romanos. Now, this Romanos seemed to be going places. He was a judge. He may even have been in charge of the church finances by this point. This Romanos and Constantine 
got on very well. Uh, Romanos, in fact, suggested to Constantine that he marry his niece. So we're not sure whether he met the niece first or Romanos, but it was Romanos pushing for the marriage. Well, I wonder why, because they're, they're falling on a hard time, so it's probably not a... Uh, I guess the name carries, maybe? The name carries... Uh, this Romanos wasn't part of the royal family, um, so it's the royal family who didn't like him. And also, he was meant to just be a Im- very impressive youth. Okay. So there you go, you got Constantine, he's married for the second time, uh, he's got this man named Romanos who is kind of looking out for him, uh, making sure his way forward in life is a bit easier. Yeah. Then, in 1028, Constantine VIII, the brother of the late Basil II, died. So the emperor's dead. Was that 10 to 8 in the morning or in the afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> afternoon. Okay. Uh, before the emperor died, however, he sent a note to this Romanos, telling him that he needed to divorce his wife and marry his daughter Zoe, which we have covered before. And just yes. like that, this Romanos turns into Romanos 3. Because that's right, it's Romanos 3 I've been talking Ooh, about. Spoiler. Uh, well, not... No, not really. really. This was the reveal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Constantine now had an uncle through marriage who was the emperor, so his family suddenly found himself in good standing once more. Uh, The Monomachus family were back in the royal court. Now, at some point, perhaps before Romanos became the emperor, uh, but if not presumably not long afterwards, uh, Constantine's second wife dies. So that's the niece dead. This is now starting to look a bit suspicious to me. Well, as I've put in my notes, we don't have any details, but death was common back then, and there was no need to suggest that Constantine is bumping off his wives. How many wives did he end up having? Uh, only three. Slash four. Three and a half. <laughs> We'll get to it. <laughs> All we know of Constantine at this time is that he's in his late 20s. He's very good-looking, and he's now in the royal court once more. And with the nickname The Black Widow. <laughs> yes. And uh, unsurprisingly, it's not long before he caught the eye of Zoe. Because, as we have covered, Zoe saw no reason whatsoever to let a good-looking man go to waste. <laughs> and if there's one hanging around the court, might as well make use of them. Yeah. Uh, so it would appear that the two of them had cut some kind of an affair, which uh, is a bit dodgy. I mean, if they didn't have a full-blown affair, they at least were friendly with each other. Or Zoe just really fancied him and he was being polite. But don't forget, Constantine's uncle is the emperor and he is married to Zoe. So if uh, Romanus had found out, he wouldn't have been happy. So so they may not have fully gotten to know each other. But okay, imagine instead they're playing a game of rounders, which is like baseball but better yeah Um, and you have different bases and they're both playing this game there's the first base you run to then you know go around Uh, what base would you think they would have gotten to in this game i'd say the ball was definitely hit okay i'd say running definitely happened good but i couldn't tell you whether he stopped at any bases whether he got a rounder (laughs) or whether the ball was caught in midair I okay. just don't know. Oh. No. We don't know. We know that they were friendly. Let's just leave it at that, shall we? Okay. <laughs> That's a good wink there. Now, this is the same time, by the way, just to root you into where we are, that John the Orphan Atrophus is arranging that his younger brother, Michael Four, gets to know Zoe. Yes. So Zoe's there getting to know two of them. And, in fact, another Constantine that I'm not going to 
talk about today because it just gets Good. confusing. <laughs> Thank but you. If you remember in her episode, there was a whole host of Constantines in her book yeah. that she would call upon. <laughs> anyway, it would appear that the future Michael Four and our Constantine knew about each other at this time. They knew that they were rival lovers attempting to gain attention from the Empress. So, interesting times for our Constantine. Uh, to make it even more interesting, it's around this time he met someone. This is a daughter of the powerful Sclerus family, who we've come across before. Her name is obviously Sclerina, because yeah. Romans. Um, <laughs> and the reason why he knew her is she was the niece of his second wife. Oh, with you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, still keeping it in the family. Now, the two were not allowed to wed, because Constantine had had two wives already, and obviously three wives. Big no-no. Uh, but it would appear that they were very much in actual love. Oh, uh, Yeah. Uh, Celis speculates on how Constantine convinced Glorina to remain unwed, but loyal to him. I'll quote him here. He may have bribed her. Possibly he charmed her with words of love. Or he may have used... Other methods of persuasion to achieve his purpose. His massive personality. Yes, yeah, exactly. Large advantage. I'm going to say it's his advantage. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. Now, whether this is overlapping with him getting to know Zoe, no idea. Uh, like I said, maybe Zoe just really fancies Constantine and he's just being polite back while he's deeply in love with Sclerina. Who knows? Either way, as we've seen, John the Orphanotrophus and Michael IV succeeded in their ambitions. Romanos III is murdered in the baths, and Michael IV is made emperor. Now, it would appear that Michael IV did not take kindly to any perceived rivalry from Constantine IX, so he had Constantine exiled to Lesbos. It's not clear what excuse is given, uh, the reason for his exile. Celis tells us that the city had grown to like Constantine a lot. Yeah. Apparently he was cheered a lot when he was seen in the games. You get the impression he was just an all-round sort of alpha personality that everyone loved. Yeah. Magnetic. Yeah. Chiseled everything. <laughs> Metal stuck to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of thing. I guess if you're emperor, though, you could you can say anything. He Well, yeah, exactly. Michael Four made up some uh, evidence that Constantine was committing some kind of treason and just had the guy exiled. Anyway, Constantine goes into exile for the next seven years. He would have spent his late 30s and early 40s away from the capital, uh, living a fairly secluded and miserable life. Uh, There was one bright side, however. His lover, Sclerina, came with him so they would not be apart. Oh. Yeah, so the evidence they were genuinely in love with each other. Uh, It would also seem around this time that Constantine starts to suffer from gout. Yeah, his limbs would swell up. He'd be in a lot of pain for long periods of time. Sclerina apparently cared for him when this flared up because he uh, became immobile. Apparently gout's one of the worst things, well, not one of the worst, but one of the most painful things you can have. Oh, it's, uh, it's not pleasant. I did a bit of reading up on it. So he would have been fairly miserable living his secluded life on Lesbos with his gout. But Sclerinia's there with him, so... Yeah. Yeah. And then, when he was 41, Michael Four died. And, if you remember, the young Michael the Shipsmearer became emperor. Oh, I remember. Now, as we've seen, the Shipsmearer soon proved he was not going to be like his uncles, 
Michael and John. He's going to be far more incompetent. <laughs> yes, well, he was going to rule in a brand new way. Um, Constantine probably wouldn't have been so secluded that news didn't get to him. I assume he would have heard that the general Maniaches had been released from his exile and sent to fight in Italy. This was good news. Maniaches had been thrown into exile by John at roughly the same time as Constantine mm. had. I wonder if you'd like, if you've been sent to exile, you can like send a petition saying, "New Emperor, hey, <laughs> any chance of a you know?" If you have, if you have people in the uh, capital arguing on your behalf, yes, yeah. you can. Which presumably he would have done, uh, although we don't get any stories of that. Um, but the release of Maniaches, he would have seen as good news. Uh, yeah. People in exile are being uh, invited back. So, great. But, no, it was not to be. Oh. He sat by his letterbox day in, day out. <laughs> oh. No invite to come home. So time passed, and then eventually he would have heard news of John, the orphan Atrophus, being deposed and exiled. I'm guessing he would have liked that news. Yeah. Uh, then he heard that Zoe had been exiled as well. Oh, I remember her. <laughs> then he would have heard of the public uprising and Ooh. the powerful in the city using this as a way to get Zoe back and then putting Zoe and Theodora on the throne. Yeah. So when all of that's kicking off, everything we've covered in the last few episodes, uh, he is just in Lesbos in exile. Uh, and then, after seven years of exile, at the age of 42, he finally receives a letter. Any chance you want to come back to the capital and become the Judge of Greece? This letter might have said come back and have this title, but the subtext was very clear. Even if it was subtext, maybe it bluntly said it, we're not sure. Uh, he was being recalled to the capital so he could meet Zoe. And once he'd met Zoe, well, who knows? Perhaps the two could get to know each other once more. Ooh. Now, this lends uh, credence to the fact that they got to know each other before. Um, I mean, maybe this is just, just Zoe remembering someone she fancied, but I think <laughs> this would be easier to do if it was a case of rekindling an old flame. Yeah. Um, but who knows? Anyway. Oh, but he's got his love, though. Well, he has, uh, but he's also in exile. Yeah. And he's being invited to go and be the emperor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, pros and cons, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, no, he he's he's on a boat before Sclarina can even look <laughs> up and say, What's in the letter, dear? Oh oh <laughs> She's still oh, stirring the porridge in the corner. <laughs> Where have you gone? Yeah. Um Constantine arrived in the capital, uh, in full party mode, as in the capital was, not Constantine. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those glowing glasses, that UV paint on his cheeks. Pulling the party poppers as he walks down the street. Everyone else already somber. Uh, no, no, apparently the city were, were really happy. An impromptu uh, festival started up outside the palace. Uh, tents and stalls had been set up. Everyone was having a good time. Uh, once he arrived there, nice. everyone celebrated and cheered, and then he was ushered into the palace where a more formal uh, party was going on, and he met with Zoe. And sure enough, just as was hinted at, he was to marry the Empress and become the Emperor. Ooh. Now, it would appear Constantine could not believe his luck. He'd gone from being in exile to becoming the Emperor in the matter of weeks. Pretty yeah. good. Now, as covered before, the wedding between Zoe and Constantine was performed by someone other than the Patriarch. Because, after all, three marriages... 
big no-no in God's eyes. But they figured yeah. that maybe God wouldn't notice if someone else did the service and not the patriarch. Maybe a kind of, patriarch, go over there and just start, I don't know, talking to God or something. Wave your hands a lot in the air. Oh, what's that in the corner? Yeah. Quick! Now we'll we're, we're do the marriage over here. Keep maybe looking. God won't notice. Yeah, maybe yeah, they really did fast. that. I'm not entirely sure how they managed to convince themselves that this was all okay, but they did manage to convince themselves, so it's fine. Um... <laughs> Anyway, it was very quickly established that the sisters, Zoe and Theodora, were no longer in charge. Nine settled into his rule. And according to Celus, he mentioned Sclerina to Zoe in their very first meeting. So before they even got married. It was on that party day when he arrived, walked in, strode up to Zoe, bowed down, looked up. About my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, not quite that, because he referred to Sclerina as just someone else who had been needlessly exiled to Lesbos, who was suffering over there. It's brilliant you have brought me back from the exile, but perhaps you've not heard. There was a woman named Sclerina there as well. Perhaps she could come back. She must be furious, though. She's just been dead. Who's Sclerina? I mean, I think this is all happening so quickly. I think she's still there serving up the porridge. I don't think she's noticed yet. <laughs> Just yeah, you do away. need to wonder what's going on uh, in her head. Presumably she knew. <laughs> he didn't just ditch her. Uh, presumably Constantine said, I'm going to go, and then when I'm there I can get you recalled back to the capital. Now whether they knew at that point that it was likely he was going to marry Zoe, and he said, don't worry, it's just politics, I'll still love you, or... Maybe they didn't know. Who knows? <laughs> it's we just don't have enough details. But yeah. uh, Scarina would have been on Lesbos, just expecting Zoe's troops to come along and murder her, most likely, because she would have been seen as a threat. Yeah, that seems that, ooh, yeah, the most likely thoughts that are going through Sclerina's head. So she must have been incredibly yeah. relieved when a letter turned up from both Constantine and Zoe, saying, "Come along to the court." You're more than welcome here. Apparently, personal reassurances from Zoe herself saying you will be safe. So, that's good. Well, because Zoe just needs somebody else. As well, a yes, exactly. She, as we've covered in her episode, she, she's getting on in years at this point. This is a political marriage, so Zoe seems to be more than fine with Sclerina coming along. So, Sclerina didn't even stop to turn off the hob on the porridge. She was just out the door. So, the next one there is going to find that really annoying to clean up. That's going to I don't know, because it'll stay hot and bubbly. As if it went cold... Yeah, it'll it dry would... out. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. It'll dry yeah. out. It's like for you to be, it to be like concrete. Yeah, that's a good point. That's why it's still there today. You can go and see yes. it. Go to Lesbos to see Sclerina's porridge. That sounds weird. <laughs> anyway. Sclerina arrived in the capital city and found that her lover had worked it all out. She was going to go and live in a building site. No, no, calm down, dear. No, this is a good plan, honest. It's, it's, it's a project. <laughs> in the next five years, most up, up market place in, in all of... Well, the uh, the building site was a, a church-slash-poorhouse complex being built. And if Sclerina stayed there, every time Constantine wanted to go and check on the progress of the domes, uh, he could just pop along and 
pretty rummage in the foundations. And so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Constantine's got it all set up. He's he's now emperor. His lover is near the palace, so he can go and see at any point. Um, the affair was as discreet as it could be, but obviously rumours were spreading around. But apart from that, things were looking good for Constantine. Well, rumours will happen when they're playing naked tea in the corridors. <laughs> Around all the people with their hard hats on. Yeah, yes. Just swinging off the big ball and chain. I came in like a <laughs> There is no risk assessment for that. Just really angry foreman. But while uh, Constantine is, is romping through the building sites, uh, rumour reached the <laughs> capital. Maniakes the Empire's best general in a generation, had been sent to Italy with Harold Hardrada, remember he's still hanging around, uh, to go and put down some unrest in the area. Uh, That wasn't the rumour, obviously, because Constantine knew about that. The rumour was that Maniakes was about to declare himself emperor. Maniakes? Yes, well, I I figured whilst writing my notes that at this point you'll be going Maniakes in a kind of desperately trying to remember who I'm talking about kind of way. Oh, I definitely remember who Maniakes is. <laughs> Let's quickly remind ourselves who Maniakes is. For the for the audience, yeah? For, our listeners. for the audience. I'm not going to do it. Celis is going to do it. I'm going to quote him. Oh, do you know, for a split second I was terrified that you were going to say, Jamie's going to do it. And no! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'll let Celis take this one. You can do the next oh. one. <laughs> so, Celis tells us, and I quote, This George Maniakes did not rise to the rank of army commander from baggage man all at once. It was not a case of blowing a trumpet and acting as a herald one day, and the next being entrusted with the leadership of a legion. Actually, his progress was gradual, and he held successive ranks until he attained the highest position open to a soldier. That's right. That's Celis's small paragraph essentially saying he rose through the ranks. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> he puts it somewhat better than us, but he didn't put it to music, so I still think Well, we that's win. true, yeah. <laughs> now, if you remember, I know you don't, but if you're listening and you remember, <laughs> um, Maniakes had been the general who would put down the unrest in the East when Romanos III's disastrous attempt to gain military legacy failed. Yes, of course, yes. Then, Maniakes had gone with Harold Hardrada to yeah. Sicily, yeah, uh, to get Sicily back for the Empire, yeah. which he nearly did. Yeah. But then... Steve, the ship smearer. Yes. Uh, remember Useless Steve? Yep. Yeah, Useless Steve got jealous and lied about him to John the Orphan Trophus. Yes. He was thrown into exile. However, he had been recently released, as I mentioned earlier, and he had been sent to Italy to put down some unrest in the region, in the Roman held south of Italy. Right. So that that's who he is, if you remember. According to Cellus, he was ten foot tall. No, he wasn't. No. The, the no, tallest he wasn't. person that's ever existed was nine foot something, so... Unless a foot was a different measurement back then? Like, he had ten feet? No, it's not that. We've actually covered several people who are ten foot tall that I've just never bothered to say. Um, Good, because it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I, to, I, I got to this one. I think it's about the third or fourth time we've come across someone who's ten foot tall, and I just got to the point. It's like, why do they keep saying this? And I did look into it. Uh, apparently, this was just a, a bit of a, an idiom from the time. Just it's just a way of saying really tall. Instead of saying really tall, they'd said he's ten foot tall. All right. Yeah, so we have lots of uh, documented evidence, sources claiming people were stupidly tall in this period. Or people were stupidly tall in this period. Good diets. Mediterranean Maybe. diet. Who knows? Mm. Um, I'll quote Celis some more here. He had the quick movement of a lion, and the scowl on his face was terrible to behold. So, big scowly man. That's who Maniakes was. Like the mountain uh, he... from Game of Thrones. Yes, exactly. That's the thing. That is a thing. Have you seen Game of Thrones? 
Oh, series two. <laughs> I seem to remember. Yes. Yeah, like is... Back may- maybe in like the first few episodes. <laughs> maybe like Claudius's episode. I yeah. think you mentioned you'd seen a, a episode yeah. of, of Game of Yeah. I'm getting Still that. on season two. I finished yeah. season. I finished season two. Yeah, you may, might want to just stop there, according to most people. I am one of the very few people who have no problems with the way Game of Thrones ended. It was a bit rushed at the end, to be fair, uh, but yeah, I can deal with that. Almost everyone else in the world, however, seems to think it's the worst thing that's ever happened since Lost finished. <laughs> well, that's the trouble. Uh, like Fans are the people that hate the thing the most. Yeah, that's true. Anyway... Let's get off Game of Thrones. Uh, but yes, feel free to choose the mountain to play Maniaches if you so wish. Done. Uh, and he was not a happy man in Italy. He had heard of Constantine becoming the Emperor, and this displeased him greatly. But why? Why would it displease Maniaches that Constantine had become the Emperor? Well, um, I think it goes for uh, lots of varied reasons. Uh, the first reason being that um, uh, I don't know. No. no. Um, I honestly thought about just cutting this section and just saying... He just revolted. But I've tried to keep it in. Try and keep track of the names here. But it gives you a sense of how much detail we get with uh, Celis. Right, so, Maniaches, when he wasn't out fighting for the Empire, owned large tracts of land. The estate land next to him belonged to a man named Romanos Sclerus. That's right. This is Sclerina's uncle and brother of Constantine IX's second wife, who had died. Right. So, in other words, let me try and say that in a different way. Okay. Maniakes has land. Yeah. The land next to his land is owned by Constantine's brother-in-law. Right. From his second wife. Yes. Who is also the uncle of Constantine's lover, Sclerina. Yes. Yeah? You with me? Yeah. Good. Right. Uh, (laughs) Now, that in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. However... Sclerus, the brother-in-law slash uncle of Sclerina, completely and utterly despised Maniakes, and in fact had attempted to kill him on numerous occasions in the past. Like farming accidents, that kind of thing. We don't know, unfortunately, Celis <laughs> doesn't tell us. I, I Sabotage the oxen, that sort of thing. I don't know if it's formal jewels, I don't know whether it's humorously placed stones on top of doors, or rocks. A stone on top of a door won't kill you. Painful. But, yeah. Painting tunnels on the side of walls. <laughs> Some Maniakes runs into that. I don't know. I don't know. But apparently, Sclerus had gone for Maniakes a couple of times in the past. Presumably, Maniakes had fought back as well. Uh, the two of them hate each other. So when Maniakes finds that Constantine becomes the Emperor, uh, he's not happy. But then things get worse, because then Maniakes receives news from his land. Apparently, a couple of villages had been burnt to the ground. And if the report was true, the people burning the villages down were sent there by Sclerus, just feeling emboldened because he was now brother-in-law to the Emperor and felt he could do whatever he wanted. Maniakes starts to see which way the wind's blowing here, already not in the best of moods after being exiled for a long period of time, and he starts to think about who should actually be Emperor. Perhaps, maybe. Just perhaps. It should be him. Ooh. Oh, yes. Now, rumours that he was about to revolt start to spread very quickly. He wasn't subtle. I imagine he was stomping around the camp saying things like, I should be bloody emperor. I'm going to revolt. Here are my plans. Yeah, exactly. He was organised. He was a very good general. He took ad- ads in like, the local newspapers and stuff. And all. Like schedules on the notice board, the, the camp yeah. notice board. Yeah. yeah, It's all about organisation in the army. 
don't want surprises when you're <laughs> leading troops, do you? <laughs> no. Um, so, yeah, sure enough, uh, the rumours that Monarchies was about to revolt soon reach the Emperor, who, in turn, was not very happy. So Constantine sent a couple of envoys to his general with orders to bring the general down. Celis tells us that he suspects that these were actually just straight-up assassins, and they were given orders to go and kill the general. That's certainly what it sounds like. Well, if they were, I mean, how do you picture an assassin? Um, I'm thinking Assassin's Guild from Ankh Morpork, like all in black, looking cool, suave, hiding the shadows, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I imagine. I'm sure a lot of people will be thinking like Assassin's Creed kind yeah. of assassins, which is very much cut from the same mould. Ah, uh, they sent Jeff, didn't they? Oh, <laughs> let's see how this assassin <laughs> attempts uh, to uh, take down the best general the Empire has known in a generation. <laughs> so, picture the scene, opening to your, your really cool assassin film. Uh, it's just a, a foggy, misty morning, and, and the horse comes into shot. It's a lone rider heading into the camp. This assassin, this really cool... Should we say clad all in black? Yeah. Can't see his face yet? No, no, yeah. You know Stubble's involved. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, um, this guy rides directly past all the soldiers, all the way up to the general's tent. Nyakis apparently leaves his tent to come and greet the newcomer, and the assassin, in a very cool assassin-like way, just starts hurling abuse at Maniakes at the top of his voice and then threatened Maniakes with dreadful punishments if he dared revolt. Basically, he told Maniakes off very loudly. (laughs) (laughs) You're a very, very bad general. Yeah, it sounds like that's pretty much what happened. He's just started shouting abuse and names at Maniakes and said, don't you dare revolt, you very, very naughty boy. Well, that's a bit disappointing. Yeah, the, the whole film's gone at this point. It's no longer a cool assassin film. It's now just annoyed year three teacher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Maniakis, understandably, is completely outraged. Uh, he balled his hand into a fist and was about to strike the the envoy. The envoy then, you see, maybe this is all part of the plan. Maybe it's time to turn it around with a cunning move. Yeah, you ready? Yeah. The envoy then very quickly started shrieking that this was treason. Treason, I say, and called for all the bystanders to be witness to this treason. Ha ha, cunning plan. He's goaded Maniakes into open treason. Yeah, in front of all of his loyal soldiers. Oh, you spotted the flaw in the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Was he quicker than the assassin? All the bystanders, as you rightly point out, were Maniakes' loyal troops. The envoy was seized... Manure shoved into his mouth and then killed. Ooh. Yeah. Maniakes then declares himself emperor. Oh, okay. Uh, I should probably point out another version of this story is that it wasn't an envoy, it was actually his replacement who turned up and uh, just demanded that Maniakes step down. Uh, but same outcome. That makes a lot more sense, actually. Some sort of blustery yeah, old yeah. general. How dare you? <laughs> there you go. Uh, that, that, that was uh, Constantine's attempt to defuse the situation didn't work. No. Maniakes has now declared himself emperor and starts heading towards the capital. The best general in the world at the time. Yeah. With lots with of loyal soldiers and an army. And a Viking superhero. Harold's still around. Oh dear. Anyway, Constantine hears of this coming towards him Can and rushed to raise his forces. Uh, one problem. 
He doesn't have any. Well, it stopped that. <laughs> more, more pressing was uh, the lack of general. I mean, his best general was the man coming towards him with an angry scowl on his face. That'd be a way of defeating him, though. Convince Maniakes to attack Maniakes. It'd be tricky, but if you could do it... That'd be amazing. I mean, it's high-risk, high-reward kind of strategy, <laughs> yes. that one. I can't have <laughs> feel. Yeah, uh, well, there were other generals around, obviously. Monarchies wasn't the only general, but uh, Constantine was worried that all the other generals would perhaps take Monarchy's side once the fighting started, because... They all liked Maniakes. He's just so good. Yeah, exactly. So instead, Constantine decided to give command to a civil servant who worked in the palace who he felt he could trust. Oh, okay. Let's just say it's Jeff. Oh, no. Because it might as well be. Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, come here! (laughs) Yeah, it was just a a eunuch from the palace, basically, who had no experience whatsoever. Jeff the eunuch. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Constantine's loyal forces outnumbered Maniakes. I mean, they had the rest of the empire to draw upon. Um, But obviously Maniakes is the better general, and his troops were just better. Uh, Anyway, the two sides meet up and draw up for battle. Apparently the mere sight of Maniakes created terror in the loyal forces. In fact, I quote here, The Imperial forces were slow in drawing up their line of battle, and once they were in position, they were much more concerned to watch Maniakes himself than take part in the actual fighting, although most of them never had the chance of seeing him because he moved too fast. Which is very impressive from Maniakes there. (laughs) It's clearly just zooming past on a turbo horse. Um, thundering out words of command, riding up and down his ranks, he struck terror at once into the hearts of everyone who saw him, and his proud bearing overwhelmed our vast numbers from the very start. Very similar to like the uh, the, the myth of Edward Teach, uh, Blackbeard the pirate. Like you, you, the the sight of it would scare you more, would demoralize yeah. an army. Yeah, exactly. Just the sight of Monarchies at the head of his army. Uh, people were starting to dwindle. Everyone looked over at Jeff. It's like, well, he's leading us. What hope have we got? <laughs> I mean, he's first of all, he's back to front on his horse. I mean, fortunately, he's back to front on his horse, but he's so bad at riding a horse, his horse is facing the wrong way. So he, he is himself facing the right way. <laughs> uh, but it's not ideal. Anyway... Despite not having the numbers, you'll be shocked to learn Maniakes is able to win the battle through outmaneuvering his em- enemy. Oh. Uh, the v- fighting had mostly come to an end. They kind of got to the um, the mopping up part of the fight. You know, <laughs> when the battle becomes a bit more fun, there's very little chance you're going to die anymore, but you get lots of free stabs in. Yeah, so it's more of target practice at this point. Yeah, exactly. Or putting like, people out just, of their misery. Exactly. Don't think too hard about what you're doing. Just go around and just keep poking the bodies this is this yeah. is like that scene in 300 isn't it <laughs> yes stabbing. Uh, yeah so um they're in the mopping up part of the fight when suddenly a spear came out of nowhere and hit maniakes in the side i quote apparently he was unaware of the blow at first but when he saw the trickle of blood he tried to staunch it with his hand he realized he had been mortally wounded well, see, this is where Jeff's his his genius comes in because he was he was aiming for a spider, terrified of spiders. Well, you say he was aiming for a spider. He saw a spider, yeah. and he just freaked out yeah. and let go of his spear as he did so. <laughs> yeah, upon seeing the death of their general, despite all but winning the battle, uh, the rebel forces broke up and scattered. Maniakes' head was taken back to the capital and presented to Constantine, who had it placed on a spike yeah. and put up in the hippodrome. 
That's because look. why not? Yeah. I don't know if it counts as a... I mean, obviously it is a win, but on paper, but... Phew. Yes. <laughs> that was close. But there you go. Revolt put down. Yeah. And Jeff's now been promoted. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Goes to show, uh, that's got to be the most important spear throw to Roman history since the death of Julian. Mm. Because uh, one spear changes Roman history. One bit of metal on wood. Anyway, celebrations were had throughout the city. Uh, according to Cellus, this was Constantine's peak. He received lots of praise, but he was not boastful. Uh, he didn't show off with speeches. He just spent his time enjoying being the emperor. Triumph-like atmosphere in the city. Everyone having a good time. He'd spent seven years in exile, and he, hate, and he had hated it. And now mm. everything was coming up roses. Uh, the celebrations, however, were then somewhat interrupted when reports came in that the Rus were invading once more. Again. Again. Yet again, it was an attack with boats coming over the Black Sea. Yeah. That I quote... It was like a mighty cloud that came up from the sea and enveloped the city in darkness. That's very dramatic. Salus is very good. Um, <laughs> yeah, all, all of a sudden, almost overnight, with very little warning, there was a massive fleet outside the capital city. Uh, the Rus sent a message to Constantine. I'll sum it up. <laughs> Give us your cash or we will kill you. Well, you saw what happened to Monarchy, so we can clearly look after ourselves, so screw you. Well, yeah. In fact, I quote Salus again. The enemy was so confident in their overwhelming numbers that they thought the city, with all its inhabitants, would surrender immediately. However? Well, we, we've seen this before. Yeah. We know if anyone attacks Constantinople by land, the walls save the day. And we know yeah. that if anyone attacks by sea... The cliffs. Not the cliffs. Although they help. Lasers. Greek fire. Oh, yeah. Essentially lasers, yeah. yeah. I mean, superior war technology. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the lasers of, of the Roman world. The navy was actually in a bit of a state at this time, apparently, and Constantine had to hastily order the patching up of some old ships, but they managed to pull together a bit of a ragtag navy. But that didn't matter that they were a bit old and a bit crumbly, because they did have plenty of Greek fire. Always keep stockpiles of Greek fire. In a fireproof place, hopefully. Yeah, not underneath the Hagia Sophia. No, the goats are no. under enough stress. You should definitely watch Game of Thrones, by the way. Most of Game of Thrones is, is essentially this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's why one of the last episodes I saw. There's a massive battle, and it's just as... Oh, with the... um, I've forgotten what it's called in Game of Thrones, but the Greek fire, the green, yeah. the green fire being thrown around. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what I'm referring to. If anyone's seen Game of Thrones, they know exactly what I'm referring to. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. The dragons. This is the dragons. We're about 200 years away from dragons in, in our podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, where was I? Oh, yes, they've got plenty of Greek fire. They put the Greek fire on the ships. Uh, Constantine and some prominent senators, plus his advisor, Cellus, spend the night on a ship in the harbour so they can keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, then when dawn comes along, they disembark and they climb a nearby hill so they can watch the upcoming battle. Because the Roman fleet and the Rus fleet line up in the water. And they just stare at each other for pretty much the whole day. So it's basically a, a staring contest. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. No one wants to be the first one to move, so they just kind of hang about. Dad, you blinked! That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I didn't! You blinked! I mean, the Rus were feeling very confident 
Uh, they easily outnumbered the Roman ships, and it had been a while. I'm sure most of them on the, the Rus ships were young men who didn't really believe the stories of their fathers, who talked of this magical fire the Romans had. It'll be fine. Anyway, at last, after several hours, Constantine ordered that two of the Roman ships leave the Roman line and head towards the enemy. The Rus responded immediately, several ships darted forward, to pick off the Roman vessels. The Rus ships started circling the Roman ones, nice. attempting to use long poles to poke holes in the hulls of the Roman ships. Now Pirates of the Caribbean, loving it. Yeah, yeah, it was full-on naval battle with Constantine and Cellus watching it from a hill. So this is a first-hand eyewitness account we're getting this from. Wow. Don't get that often. Yeah. Anyway, the, the Rus ships uh, seem to be doing well. They're circling and getting closer and closer to these two Roman ships, when suddenly the Roman ships starts hurling the Greek fire. Immediately the Rus ships go up in flames. They start panicking. The Rus soldiers start jumping off the ships, sinking in their armour. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I knew we should have covered our boats in oil. Damn it! <laughs> At this point, Constantine ordered the line start advancing on the Rus. Uh, by the time several Roman ships reached the enemy, the Rus had started to panic. Oh, it turns out that Daddy Vlad uh, wasn't just pulling my leg when he talked about this magic fire. They've actually got magic fire. Um, so, uh, yeah, they just start to panic. Uh, they were not expecting this kind of onslaught from this few ships. The sheer number of the Rus fleet just meant more targets for the Greek fire, essentially. <laughs> and then the weather started to turn, and the sea became really rough, and the Rus ships started to have to choose between diving towards the Greek fire hurling ships of the Romans, or the rocks of the shore. Oh. Um, so they were pretty much all chased down in short order. Constantine returned to the palace in triumph. Again, celebrations were had. There we go. Second major invasion dealt with. Uh, people started to say that Constantine was blessed. He could never be defeated. And Constantine went back to living the good life. He was happy, mostly. His limbs were still swelling up from time to time, causing him lots of pain. Yeah. Uh, Sclerina was still there to tend to him when that happened. Take his mind off it. Exactly. Right. Talking of his lover, by this time, Sclerina had slowly been moved into the palace as in moved into the palace over a slow period of time. She wasn't slowly <laughs> moved into the palace. That'd be amazing. Or may maybe she was. I, I, I think so. On March the 1st, they, they pick her up. Have you ever tried to walk past a security light without setting it off? Uh, no, because I have more fun things to do in life. Sounds really dodgy. Why would you be doing that? <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> in banks and things. I used to live next to someone who had a security light, and me and my friends would just, like be hanging out on the street and then it would get dark and we used to play a game which is could you walk past the neighbor's house without setting the light off fun times but yeah we worked out if you walk really really slowly you don't set the sensor off you just have to walk really slowly so anyway sclerina was doing that into the palace so if any of our listeners are interested in burgling houses that's one way of doing it just just really slowly anyway that was a weird tangent <laughs> uh, uh, yeah what was I trying to say Skluina's in the palace uh, what had started as uh, a secret the affair uh, had become rumour and then that had turned into an open secret within the palace 
and then that had turned into rumour throughout the city, and that had turned into common knowledge throughout the city. Hmm. The emperor was having an affair, and poor Zoe, mother of the people, was being insulted, was essentially the word on the street. But Zoe's like, I really don't care. Well, yeah, as we've covered, Zoe herself doesn't seem to mind too much. I'm happy making my perfumes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, But the people were outraged on her behalf. I mean, after all, they'd revolted on her behalf Hmm. not long ago. They don't want to see anyone taking the bleep. Well, they've already invested, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Now, Nine realised there was some unrest over this, so he decided to grasp the nettle. He could keep it quiet no longer, but he was not willing to break up with Sclarina. So instead, he decides to make it official. He talked to Zoe and Sclarina, and it was decided that a formal contract of friendship would be drawn up between them. <laughs> it's called a menage a trois contract. <laughs> Hopefully, if the people saw Zoe was fine with all this, everyone would just calm down, thought Constantine. Yeah. So the Senate were called together. According to Celis, they were all very embarrassed as Zoe, Sclarina, and Constantine signed the contract. And in fact, I quote... Despite their embarrassment, senators still praised the agreement as if it were a document sent down from heaven. They called it a loving cup and lavished on it all the other flattering epithets that deceive and cajole a frivolous and empty-headed person. Celis tells us that Sclarina was uh, very good at getting people to like her. Uh, He admits that she bewitched him... Uh, his word there, by constantly asking him about his work and asking him about Greek myths. Basically, Sclarina saw this scholar advising Constantine and just started talking about his work, and he went, oh, actually, you're pretty good. Uh, Apparently, she did this to Zoe and Theodora as well. She figured out what they liked and gave them lots of gifts. Uh, If we can believe Celis, the Emperor, Sclarina, and the two sisters, Zoe and Theodora, all got on really well. Hmm. I mean... Not spectacularly, but they didn't hate each other or anything. They just lived their lives in the palace. They were just getting on with things. Well, they probably spent a lot of their time away from each other, didn't they, as well? Yeah, yeah. Again, huge palace complex. Uh, not one building. So it was easy enough to avoid each other. Yeah. But, despite this, the city was still not happy. Rumours started up that Sclarina was plotting to poison Zoe so she could become the Empress. Because, after all, Sclarina was a woman, and that's all women did in these days, apparently. Yeah, plot and kill. Yeah. Not to be trusted. This rumour makes very little sense, though. I mean, she was already Augusta. If she wasn't full Augusta, she was given a title just below Augusta. It's not exactly clear. But she was much younger than Zoe, so she could have just waited until Zoe was out the way. It doesn't make sense that she was trying to get into that position. No, not really. No. Uh, But still, the people weren't happy, and they wanted something done about it. It got to the point that one day, when Constantine left the palace to visit a church, a voice rang out, We don't want Sclarina for Empress, and we don't want our mothers Zoe and Theodora put to death on her account. Which, uh, I can only assume is a lot more snappy in Greek. Yeah, you got a lot more... Yeah. A lot more consonants (laughs) in Greek. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this this rousing little cry apparently turned the crowd very quickly. They started to turn hostile, and Constantine was struggling to get back to the gates of the palace. He was trying to force his way through this crowd that was starting to turn angry. Much to his relief, however, the protest was noticed inside the palace, and Zoe hastily appeared at a window to calm the crowd down. Look, I'm still here, I'm still alive, I've not been bumped off. Promise. This distracted the crowd enough that Constantine was able to scramble back inside the palace to safety. 
Now, things started to get worse in the city. We're not sure how far the protests go. Some historians speculate that there were full-on riots by this point. Um, I'm not entirely sure where they got this from, though, because I couldn't find this in any of the sources I read. Uh, but the city was definitely unhappy. Then, everything suddenly de-escalates, because oh. Sclerina dies very suddenly. Oh, oh I miss your horror yeah. of Constantine. Yeah. Well, Celis tells us that uh, Sclerina had asthma, and she had sudden chest pains. The doctors were called and did what they could, but they were just not quick enough. She died suddenly. That's and, sad. like you say, very sad for Constantine. In fact, I quote Celis. It should be superfluous to interrupt the main thread of my history at this point by dilating on the tremendous effect her death produced on the Emperor, his lamentations and the way he behaved. It would be of no real value to describe how, overcome by his sorrow, he expressed the grief he felt like a child. So it'd be pointless for me to describe how sad he was, but I shall do that anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Bloody writers. <laughs> Very sad. That's what I'm going to go for. <laughs> That's how he felt for quite some time. Uh, after this Celis doesn't mention it again, so to be fair, he doesn't really go into details. Considering he was close to the Emperor, he probably was next to the Emperor for months mm -hmm. as he was uh, grieving, and Celis reduces it down to just this. You, you get the feeling he was in bits for quite a bit of yeah. time afterwards. Uh, but life does move on, uh, because there's an area in Armenia called Ani, and it had been causing some problems for the Empire for a while. I'm not going to go into the details for time reasons, but just know there's some unrest. We're talking up in a sort of Georgia, Armenia area. Right. That's where we are. Anyway, it was decided that some troops should go over there and sort the place out and bring it under Roman rule. It is actually far more complex than that. It involves wills and various kings dying, but just know, Rome's going to go and get it. Um, fighting broke out in the region, and the Roman forces started to take the area, despite some losses, but generally they managed to take the area. But then the fighting in the east was interrupted in 1046. It started because Constantine had a sister. Uh, I've not mentioned her before, no. so don't worry about trying to remember who I'm talking about. Yeah, Constantine and his sister had fallen out. They never really gotten on, apparently, and the sister uh, had struck a, up a friendship with a man named Leo Tornikios. Now, Leo was the second cousin of Constantine, although in some sources it says nephew. I'm going for cousin. So it's still going for the related theme, then? Oh yeah, very much so. Okay. Anyway, Constantine didn't like Leo, uh, didn't trust him one bit. He was also very suspicious of the friendship between Leo and his sister, what's going on there. So in order to separate them, he sent Leo to the east to where this fighting was. Go and run the troops over there, just get away from the capital for a bit. However, this didn't put Constantine's mind at rest. He was still very suspicious of Leo, and his sister kept going around the palace talking to people about how her cousin was blessed by God, and other such things. Yeah, all a bit dodgy. Yeah. Then there was a small army revolt in Thrace that was put down with relative ease, uh, but what concerned Constantine the most about it is that Leo's name kept being bandied about when people were talking about it even though the small revolt was to the west in Thrace and Leo's way in the east. Uh, the Emperor didn't care. It's like, why is his name being used? It's, it's do you reckon it was just, Yeah, do you reckon it was people that I know the Emperor doesn't like Leo, so we just keep saying Leo, and Leo might go away and we get a rise, a raise. Well, uh, Leo was from the Macedonian area, 
and had a lot of support uh, where the army revolt took place. Yeah, it's it's where he grew up. So Leo himself might not have been there, but people he knew were, and perhaps they were rising up in Leo's name. Yeah. That was the worry. Uh, so Constantine, deciding to nip all this in the bud, ordered that Leo be returned to the city and monked, which he was. Uh, Leo arrived in the city. He attempted several times to convince the emperor not to do this, but apparently Constantine just laughed at the feeble efforts. <laughs> Monk him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, despite being monked, Leo still had relative freedom. He wasn't, like, thrown in a cell or anything. And then one day, a group of Macedonians came to the capital on formal business, or so they claimed. But in secret, they Break were out. here to smuggle Leo out. Yes. One night, Leo was placed on a horse after some help from the palace. Some people were bribed or had sympathy for Leo inside the palace, and they managed to smuggle him from wherever he was being kept, and he was put on a horse. He and his Macedonian friends escaped the city. At every horse station they passed, they slaughtered all the horses, so no one could follow them. Oh, who did... Th- which emperor did uh, that? Constantine won. And he sliced all the... the- Bottom of the, the hamstrings, yeah. yeah. That's just cruel. Yeah. Oh, oh, nasty. Um, so yeah, people are still doing that. So because of this move, Leo was able to get to Adrianople uh, way before anyone else. And once they were there, they spread the news. Constantine IX had died. Theodora was now in charge and had chosen Leo to become the next emperor, they all said very loudly and very confidently. He's definitely dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is. Anyway, um, news is all the forces of the West are to assemble um, so we can go back to the capital and therefore Theodore and Leo can get married? Don't question it too much. Just assemble yeah. forces. Assemble. Go, come on. Hey. Yeah. Let's, let's go. This lie obviously wouldn't last long. It was only going to be so long before the truth it, caught up it, with it's them. It's going to fall to pieces in a pretty hard way. <laughs> yeah, but it's fine because Leo figured that it didn't actually matter. Uh, the lie would be enough to assemble the forces. And then when the forces found out the truth, they probably wouldn't care that much. Constantine and a large portion of the powerful uh, had come to distrust the military in recent decades. They're very aware that if the military became too strong, it could take over whenever it wanted. Mm. So for this reason, amongst other reasons, the civilian government had been pulling back on the power and the funding of the military ever since the death of Basil II. And Constantine seemed to be following suit. I guess that made them quite resentful as well. Well, yes, exactly. The leaders of the military generally were not impressed with the dynasty. Uh, resentment had built by this point, and this new emperor didn't seem to be doing any different. So Leo figured, uh, I'll do a quick lie, I'll assemble the forces, the truth will come out, but by that point I'll be able to convince them that, okay, Constantine's alive, but wouldn't it be better if he wasn't? <laughs> so why don't you follow me? We can make that dream a reality. Meanwhile, in the capital, Constantine was in agony. He was experiencing the worst flare-up of gout he had ever had. Celis tells us that his feet were so swollen he could not walk, and his hands had become dislocated. They had swollen so much. Ooh. That is a look of pain on your face there. Yeah, uh, well, that's just... Uh, I'm not quite sure. So, yeah, because I know it swells up the, uh, the joints, doesn't it? Yeah, 
can they swallow they so pop? much they pop? Oh, yeah, that's oh, very nasty. Um, yeah, Celis in other parts. I've not um, written it down for this. I just remember reading it. Uh, he, he describes the fingers being all in weird sort of angles, and yeah, it's not nice. His his knees apparently resembled elbows because they became so sort of no. sticky. Yeah, sticky as in sticky outy, not like gloopy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not having a good time. Let's just put it like that. No. He's in pain. Then news reaches him that Leo, his cousin slash nephew, is coming to the capital with the entire army of the West. That's going to put a down on your day, isn't it? It it really is. Oh, hang on, sorry. I've jumped ahead slightly. I hadn't quite finished the part in my notes of uh, how much he was suffering. Oh, uh, continue, please. <laughs> because he was also <laughs> also suffering from acute diarrhoea. Oh. Which you don't want when you can't use your hands. <laughs> yeah, but when you're emperor, you can, you know, pay people to do that true. for you. Groom of the store. <laughs> I think stool's the wrong word. <laughs> stool sounds far too solid. Groom of the pool. Yeah, that would work. <laughs> anyway, quoting Salas here, his whole body was being consumed and eaten away by a wasting illness, so he could neither move nor come into contact with the people. No high fives for him. Oh, God, no. <laughs> um, anyway, by this time, the rumour that he was dead had spread and it would reach the capital city. And people in the city saw very little reason to doubt it, because Constantine hadn't been seen for quite some time now they thought about it. So Constantine, realising the danger of this, was forced to be carried out from time to time so he could painfully wave at people, just to keep the rules at bay. (laughs) Wave your elbows, man! But it hurts! Um, Now, usually, I save uh, quotes for the details, and then obviously I segue between the details myself. But because Celis is such an amazing source, I'm going to hand this segue over to him. Oh, brilliant. Go on. So much for the Emperor. The Pretender, meanwhile, running like the wind, encamped with all his army on a spot in front of the city. So there we go. We're now back with Leo. I do like Celis. Yeah. I mean, he's an arrogant arsehole. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> when, when you read him, you do want to slap him sometimes. But... <laughs> He is an amazing source. Anyway, um, yeah, just overnight, suddenly the entire Western army essentially were camped outside the walls. Panic swept through the city. So Leo, being Roman, knew full well how tough these walls were. It's the walls that save the city every time. But he figured that he still had a chance to get inside the city. He didn't need to take the walls by force. He knew that was folly. All he needed to do was get inside, oh, much no. like Justinian II had, or Heraclius had. You need to know the key guy. You need to know the key guy. Actually, no, not in this case. Oh, what, was he was he Steve or Keith? Si- Simon? Simon. I think his last name. Yeah. Keith would Don't make worry. more sense. Oh, Keith would be amazing. Simon's <laughs> dead. Uh, right. His his great 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 grandson is is Keith, and he now has the keys. Okay. Uh, he's. He has been tied to a chair in a locked room, and he's holding the keys to the city. Love it. Um, (laughs) With very hungry, like, lions around. Exactly. Leo realised, I mean, Keith was well-trained, so he wasn't going to get the keys off Keith. No, his way to get into the city, he figured, was a show of force, demoralise the powerful inside the city, get them to turn in the hope of gaining favour with the next inevitable Emperor Leo. When has that ever worked? Well, we'll see, shall we? Uh, 
<laughs> the forces put on a display. Uh, they looked good. They arranged themselves in battle formation. Oh, sorry, I just had an image of circus stuff going on. Like someone jumping oh, we'll, we'll swords. Get to that. Oh, really? We'll get, wow. Yeah, okay. we'll get to that in a moment. Um, no, for now, it's just battle formation. Um, everyone's spread out. Mock battle. Uh, <laughs> Look how vicious we are. Oh, I die. Sort of. I mean, they've got all the their like real troops, elite yeah. troops at the front, um, more spread out than usual. If it was a real battle, just to give the impression that they could yeah. span the whole walls. Uh, behind them were just the multitude of followers that all arm- armies had. They all gathered in a massive bunch behind them. Seller says that they seemed uncountable in number uh, because it was such a large host of people. So they keep moving as well. You can't count when people keep moving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, The Emperor, meanwhile, I'll quote here, dressed in his imperial robes, he sat together with the Empresses on a balcony, breathing faintly and groaning in a feeble manner. The only part of the enemy's army he saw was that immediately in front and near him. So he's he's just a wreck on the walls. What's that quote again? Who is he sitting with? The Empresses, as in Zoe and Theodora. Yeah, Yeah. because they're still both around. Yeah, yeah. so, Leo and his men start to shout up at the walls. The usual stuff. Open up, you'll be spared, we only want Constantine 9, etc, etc. And Constantine 9 very desperately shouts now, don't open the gates! <laughs> yes. Inside the city, the people weren't convinced by this. Uh, they had no huge love for Constantine 9, you get the impression. Uh, but he was alright. Um, and they did have love for Zoe and Theodora. And what would stop all those men with swords outside the city gates from coming in and killing, raping, and pillaging once the doors were open. Yeah, true. So, um, no thanks, essentially, was the mood in the city. Seeing that he was having no impact, Leo changed tactic. And here we get to the uh, circus. Uh, (laughs) Because some of his cavalry dismounted and apparently started performing comic dances and routines just to mock the emperor. Uh. But, I quote, They improvised comic turns at the Emperor's expense, stamping on the ground with their feet in time to their music and dancing in triumph. Some of these performances Constantine saw, others he only heard. I was standing near him at the time, shocked at the things that were being said, but still trying to comfort the Emperor. He did not know what to do, put to shame as he was, not only by their actions, but also by their insults. So I guess as well that's going to have more of an impact on the people watching so that actually that's quite funny i i want to know what these comic turns are all about uh, i'm thinking ministry of silly walks kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, stamping the ground with their feet in time to music is it is it just like a, a mocking dance is it like a a war dance is it i, I don't a know yeah who knows maybe it's something like that maybe it's something just to try and strike fear we don't know it seems There's comedic so it seems like they had some sort of story like mock oh he's all injured oh he walks like this well, yeah maybe it's all yeah maybe it literally was someone dressed up as constantine being mocked we don't yeah. know all we know is that constantine was not happy as he sat on the wall in pain but also seems a bit, a bit frustrated not not in a kind of a i'm angry i'm gonna kill them more of a oh they're making me look stupid this is terrible well it worked. I mean, th- this is where we see the start of Leo's plan. Um, and if this was all planned out, then Leo was uh, very clever. Because some men in the city got outraged. How dare they mock the Emperor? So they charged out. Uh, you get the impression this was without order, although Celus doesn't make it clear. What Celus does tell us is that he and the Emperor watched 
as these men charged out at the gate. Leo's troops ran, but then swung round in a practiced manoeuvre to trap the men. They'd lured the men out there. However, Celus and Constantine were not watching this for long, because it seemed like Leo had another plan. Maybe the taunting was a planned distraction. Maybe it was a spur-of-the-moment decision, who knows. But whilst all the commotion was going on, a lone archer rode up towards the walls, took aim at the ailing emperor, and fired. I'll quote Celus. The arrow sped through the air at tremendous speed, but the emperor moved slightly to one side, and it missed him, just grazing one of his chamberlains in the ribs. A young man of some note. I love that. I just sit in there, just took a very kind of cool little... Bobbed his head to the side. Aris shushed past. Yeah. Hit the chain on the side. Ah, son of a... Making a dong sound in the wood. We have already established that Jeff was one of the Chamberlains um, because he was chosen to go and fight the war. So I'm guessing this is Jeff again. Oh, no. Uh, And I'm guessing he dies. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, as, as... uh, Celis says he was of some note, but Celis didn't feel the need to actually note down who he was. <laughs> um, another source claims that this person was hit in the helmet, but Celis was literally right there, so I'm going to say Celis can... Uh, ooh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> um, anyway, close. Arrow. Just, just missed. You can do arrow time kind of uh, shot if you're making the fun oh, for that Oh, yes. Yeah. Cool. Anyway... As you can imagine, Constantine freaks out. (laughs) He was (laughs) almost killed. Uh, He was very hastily taken further back from the walls. It took a while to calm down, but soon enough, he grew angry that someone dared take a shot at him. Well, sir, they are the enemy. That's what what they're (laughs) trying to do, just saying. Well, Constantine ordered that his men go out and take the fight to the rebels. So as you can see, from, from the very start, the taunting has led to this point that Constantine is now ordering men to leave the safety of the walls. So yeah. it's, it's working well for, for Leo here. Uh, now, going out and taking the fight to the rebels sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, but you're surrounded. And... His men were mostly guards, not soldiers. Uh, he didn't have a huge amount of them. Uh, so he opened up the role of soldiers to the general population. As Celis says, they were quite numerous. Volunteers who fooled at war as if it were just another one of their games. Bunch of very eager, inexperienced fools, according to Salas. And you just know one of the Jeffs uh, <laughs> yes. to avenge his father's death. Well, night falls, and the new army heads out. Under the cover of darkness, they secretly dig a trench in front of the walls. The capital was low on actual troops, but it had plenty of armour and weapons, apparently. So all these new forces drew up in formation just as dawn broke, and Constantine settled himself on the walls once more, ready for battle. Now Leo and his forces awoke to see an army had miraculously appeared in front of the city. Word spread like wildfire. The eastern army had come back to defend the city. They were doomed. Remember, this is just the Western troops. Yeah. There are plenty of troups out in the East. If they come back, uh, they, they'd be in trouble. However, before terror actually set in, it became a bit lighter, and what looked like a full Eastern army in the pre-light of dawn slowly revealed itself to be a bunch of civilians holding old swords and looking nervous. <laughs> in fact, I'll quote Celis, They discovered that the defenders were merely a pack of vagabonds and saw the ditch was shallow and easy to cross. (laughs) One step. (laughs) Leo saw his chance. It's like, is that the best you can do? And he charged. Uh. 
And this is it, the final last stand, and we all know what happens here. What happens when a group of plucky underdogs take on a real army in a desperate last stand? Well, there's two versions. There's the film version and there's the real version. And which version's going to happen this time? Oh, it's going to be the film version, isn't it? No, of course not. Oh, okay. It's real life. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Constantine's forces collapsed instantly. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. They broke formation and they fled. <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> The panic was so bad that it infested the city immediately. The guards around Constantine and Celus fled for their lives. So <laughs> Constantine is just left on the walls on his own. Uh, the men on the gates abandoned their positions. Oh, Everyone wow. in the city just hides, attempts to barricade their homes, and just waits for the onslaught. And then they wait. And then they wait some more. And you get a few people just sort of peeking out behind the, the hastily hammered up wooden slats on their windows. Any, anyone? Hello? But no, ghost town. Um, I mean, Leo had definitely won. The walls were not defended. There's literally only a bit of wood standing in the way of him and the throne. He just needed to hack the, uh, the gates down. They were not being defended. So what was going on? And then night fell. Constantine, unfortunately, Salus doesn't give us any details of uh, his exact movements at this point, uh, but I'm guessing he couldn't believe his luck. Uh, he must have got back to the yeah. palace, uh, reassembled some of his guard, uh, and he realised he'd been given a second chance. Uh, for whatever reason, Leo had decided to wait for the next day to enter the city, so Constantine spent the night making promises and deals with everyone he could find who had any kind of public power whatsoever. Like you just like a local politician, fine, I'll make a deal with you. Anything. Just please, all of you, agree to defend the city, don't give up. So a frantic night was spent rallying the troops. We can still defend the city. In the morning, Leo rode up to the walls. He'd clearly decided yesterday's victory was so complete he would just be let in, paraded to the palace and crowned. Maybe that's what it was before then. He just thought, well, I'm obviously I'm fine, I'll just have a night drinking, chilling out. Well, yeah, and then... that that's Saunter on in Certainly one day. theory, it's just overconfidence. Uh, we'll come to another theory in a moment. Um, but for now, he arrives at the gates and they're just shut. No one opens them. After a couple of, hello! <laughs> uh, where those two soldiers appear, just above. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you! <laughs> the whole Monty Python scene plays out. And then after that... Annoyed, yeah. uh, Leo summoned several prominent prisoners he had. He'd managed to capture some people uh, before coming to the capital. Uh, they were displayed in front of the walls and were forced to plead for their lives. Please open the gates so Leo doesn't kill us. Uh, Leo then also pointed out that Constantine was awful, whereas he, the wise and merciful Leo, could have come in and massacred you all yesterday, but I didn't. Can't you see that I'd be a better ruler? Yeah. Hmm. There was a pause, and then apparently someone threw a stone at him. His own army. Uh, this was someone on the walls. Oh. Uh, it, it fell far short. Um, obviously, Leo wasn't close enough uh, to be in range of being hit by the stone. Um, but uh, it, it was a sign, because then lots of people started throwing things at Leo and jeering. That it really finished, like, one stone hit him. It's like, you know, that'd be the most painful oh. thing ever. It's like, Ow! Well, it's not quite that, but you're close. Um, because as people were throwing their stones and jeering him, somebody 
got onto one of the trebuchets that was inside the city. No, that's a bad idea. That's a very, very bad idea. Is it? Why? You don't go into the trebuchet. Oh, no, no. Unless you're the one doing the wheel, that's <laughs> yeah, no. fine. You don't sit in they the basket. They didn't get in the sling. They just went up to it. Oh, thank Apparently goodness. they pulled the sling back further than it usually goes to try and get it to go as far as possible and just let it rip. Apparently a particularly large stone, massive boulder of a rock was in the sling at the time. And then we get the scene from The Return of the King. You know, with the, uh, the Battle of Minas Tirith? where a trebuchet goes off and it camera just follows the massive piece of masonry and it's about to hit it, the, people, the, the orc general yeah. and the orc general just steps to one side. Yeah, that happens, essentially. Uh, apparently this cool. huge stone flew through the air directly towards Leo. It doesn't hit him, but it was damn close. Uh, close enough that it completely freaks him and his horse and all the people around him out and they all <laughs> flee back out of range. See, the orcs didn't no, do that. the orcs didn't do that. As you can imagine, the morale in the city soared to watch the invader flee uh, and this was the turning point. Remember, Leo's plan had always been uh, not to take the city by force but to turn the citizens, which he had managed mm. to do, essentially. He got the citizens to give up uh, but now he realised that he'd failed. The city had uh, bounced back They'd regain their morale. So he realised there was no way he was going to be able to take the city without huge losses, and even then he probably wouldn't be able to take it. So reluctantly, he took his army back to Adrianople. Now, again, why did he do this? Why didn't he just go in the city? Like you say, one of the um, the theories is it was overconfidence. He just thought he'd be able to walk in in the morning. Uh, another theory that I think is a better theory is that he was um, trying to be merciful. He figured he was probably going to be the emperor the next day, and he didn't want his army to absolutely rip apart his own capital city the day before he's crowned emperor. You want a yeah. few cheers, um, if If he had gone in, managed to take the city the next day, which seemed likely, we would now be talking about Leo in the next episode, because he would be our next episode, and talk about how great he was that when he could have sacked the city, he managed to stop his men from doing so. Wild and Leo. Uh, unfortunately for him, though, uh, it, it gave um, Constantine chance to bounce back. So anyway, as you can imagine, Leo's support is just falling apart by this point. Many of his followers did not see why they were retreating after winning a battle and coming so close. Uh, they didn't see what had changed. Uh, Leo attempted to rally his men by attacking another nearby town, but they failed to take it after some blunders. A town? Like a wooden shanty <laughs> town? It's like, literally, it's just one road, a few houses and a pub. That's all it is, and they but couldn't take that. Mildred had a greengrocer's there, and you don't mess with Mildred. Oh, not Mildred. No, on her turnips. exactly. I mean, she came out with a rolling pin, and she knew she knew a lot of, their, <laughs> of the men's moms, uh, and really... <laughs> it's like, what would your mother yeah. think? Yeah, morale dropped even more. I know your mother. <laughs> She's Maggie Smith. She lives on Bolingbrook Road. What would she think of you? Look at you. Put that sort down. You're embarrassing yourself. Um, shame. Yeah, no, it wasn't quite a small little village of a town. It's a fortified town, uh, bordering on city. Well, I have Mildred. It's very fortified. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the fact they couldn't take it. Uh, Everyone abandoned Leo. Uh, literally everyone abandoned Leo right. apart from one man. That was his friend oh named dear. John Vitartes. 
Yeah, uh, Vitatis uh, was described as the type of man who reminded people of the heroes of old. Apparently he was old school soldier. Uh, he, he took no fuss or bleep. Yeah, <laughs> Vitatis refused to go back on the oath he had taken to stand by Leo, so he stood by Leo, even though he was literally the last man to do so. Uh, the two fled into a church, but were yeah. dragged out soon afterwards and then taken to the emperor. Constantine, by this point, because some time had passed, had announced a general pardon on all the rebels. All? Well, he figured these two didn't <laughs> count. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense to pardon the rebels, because it was essentially half the empire rising up in revolt. <laughs> so you kind of got to. Yeah. And they're just, they're just yeah. following orders. Uh, but yeah, now he decided that the pardon did not apply to Leo and Vitatis, so he ordered them to be blinded. Leo apparently shouted out in despair, but Vitatis simply calmly told the Emperor that he was losing a great soldier, and then he lay down on the floor ready for his punishment. That's ballsy. ballsy. Yeah. It's like a CV and a screw you at the same time. Well, you're just losing a great soldier. Bye. Yeah, lie that, down. That's exactly what happened. Um, anyway, Constantine had survived the third attempt to take his throne. Overwhelming odds. That's quite impressive, actually. Considering all he seems to do is sit around the palace, eating grapes, enjoying himself, and then occasionally being in agony. Um, yeah. Yeah. And having his joints uh, dislocated, yeah. yeah. Anyway, more celebrations, uh, more festivals in the city. Um, but, I mean, his health was doing what the invaders couldn't do. The flaying up of gout had become a constant by this point. Uh, he was in pain all the time. I quote, His muscles and ligaments were out of place... His limbs ceased to work in harmony with constant lack of general equilibrium and a development of nervous exhaustion. I myself... Oh, I did put the finger quote in. It's this part. I myself saw his fingers, once so beautifully formed, completely altered from their natural shape, warped and twisted with hollows here and projections there so they weren't capable of grasping anything at all. His feet were bent and his knees, crooked like the point of a man's elbow, were swollen, making it impossible for him to walk steadily or to stand upright for any amount of time. Mostly he lay on his bed, and whenever he wished to give audience, others had to prop him up to make him comfortable. Sounds yeah, it horrible. really sounds bad, doesn't it? And what's even worse, I mean, I'm, I almost feel like I can relate to him. Every time I've written the word gout in my notes, I spelled it goat. Oh dear, it's a shame. I know, it's almost as bad. Is it bad. worse to suffer from gout or goat, though? It depends where the goat is. If someone came to you and said, I've been a goat sufferer for the last four years. Yeah, the trouble is that just seems to me like there's just somebody, there's just like a goat in your house staring at you the entire time. That's not going to be pleasant if a goat's always in the room with you though, is it? That's, it'd be unnerving, yeah. yeah but... Anyway, anyway. <laughs> the empire is going on. It doesn't matter that the, uh, the emperor himself is in pain. Uh, he's got a job to do. He's got to run the empire. And a couple of major events take place, which I'm just going to say now. I'm going to gloss over a bit of it for time reasons. But go and read Celis and Skylitzes if you want more detail. There is plenty there. Uh, anyway, the Pachenics, um, a group of people we've come across a couple of times before, uh, raiding in from the north. Uh, well, actually, ever since claiming Bulgaria, the Empire have some Pachenics living within the Empire mm. because the borders have expanded. Constantine decides that because the East is suffering at the moment, they should send some more men over there. Now, the Eastern armies were recalled back to the capital to deal with the Western armies, remember. Um, they didn't arrive in time, but they were heading back. So all that unrest that was going on in the East before just got a lot worse. 
So Constantine, trying to plug the gaps in the defences, decides to send more men over. Well, who can we send? Uh, I know, we've got these Pachenics living in the Empire now. We'll send a few thousand of them over. Um, the Pachenics were convinced to march all the way to Armenia and go and do some fighting. Or at least so the Emperor thought. Because apparently the Pachenics got as far as Constantinople before deciding, actually, no, we don't like the look of this. What do you mean we're not even a third of the way there yet? Um, actually, we'd much rather go to the capital of Bulgaria and start raiding the Roman land that's out there. Fun. Yeah. Over the next five years, Constantine threw three major armies at these Pachenic uh, raiding forces. All three armies were completely destroyed. Uh, he then changed his tactics and sent some Franks and some Vikings to go fight the Pachenics using guerrilla tactics. Guerrillas? Guerrilla Vikings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eventually, because oh, you don't want to mess with guerrilla Vikings, uh, the Pachenics <laughs> agreed peace terms, but it was very much in their favour. They gained a lot out of yeah. this, and a lot of people in the capital were disgusted at how easily Constantine had just bowed down to the proposal of peace. So, that's not great. Now, while all this is going on, things were equally bad in the East, because obviously these Pachenic troops were supposed to go and make things better in the East, but they'd never arrived. Now, to do this part properly, I'd have to go into what's going on with the Abbasid Caliphate, and we simply don't have time to do that. So, cliff note version, and we'll catch up with what's going on with the Caliphate <laughs> in a shorter episode. But, as we've hinted at before, the Abbasid Caliphate has slowly fallen apart, very much like the Roman Empire did back in its height. Uh, the Fatimids, if you remember, are currently holding Egypt and going into Syria. Uh, and the Abbasid dynasty mm. had lost control over everything outside of Iraq. Then, we've got a new group of people, introducing them now, but they're going to be with us for a while. The Saljuk or Saluk Turks, depending on which way you pronounce that. This is a Turkish clan from the uh, Central Central Asian Plains who a while ago had converted to Islam and then had just started taking over the place. So, so, so the, we do we count these as Turkish? Yes, they are Turkish. They are Turks. I wonder where they end up settling. Uh, well, we'll find out. I mean, it's just a clan of Turks. There are lots of different Turks as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. these uh, Turkish people uh, are migrating basically into the Armenia Georgian lands, but also going south into uh, Iraq and around Iran. Basically, they're just moving into this whole area that used to belong to the Abbasids. Yeah. Uh, at some point, they're going to take Baghdad quite soon, uh, but they're not quite there yet. Uh, they end up kind of working for the Abbasid Caliphate in a kind of, yeah, we work for you, you're not going to do anything. Uh, they become the sultans, but right. you still get the caliphs kind of in the background. Um, yeah. yeah, so just know uh, <laughs> that there is currently fighting in the Armenian uh, area uh, between these Turkish forces uh, and the Roman forces, and that these Turks are, are going to be in our story for a while. Now, the, uh, the Turkish forces had taken a rich merchant town uh, named Arts. And when the Roman forces arrived in the area, a battle took place, uh, the Battle of Capitron. It was not a decisive battle. Uh, the Romans didn't lose completely, uh, as in they weren't wiped out, but it was very much a Turkish victory. <laughs> uh, 
more, more of a strategic yeah. win than an outright dominance, but it certainly didn't look good for the Romans. Yeah, so that's going on in the East, fighting that they're not doing well at. Um, and like I say, the Turks are now on the scene. Meanwhile, back in the capital, Constantine's suffering even more. However, a couple of things Adiz is suffering. First of all, he now had a new mistress. Hey, there we go. That's good. nice, isn't it? Take yeah. Uh, but more importantly, it would appear in Constantine's eyes, or certainly in Celis's eyes, Constantine had a new friend, slash advisor, slash court jester. Yeah. Uh, according to Celis, uh, Constantine was a very hard man to amuse. Apparently he did not like organ music, he didn't like dances. He just liked organ music? Yeah, oh wait, I've not finished. He didn't like organ music or dances or mimes. I know. What? Madness. Ah, oh, I, I know. I love nothing more of an Ooh, evening dang. than watching mimes mime a dance to organ music. I know, I, I, I mean, I, I can't, I've lost count the time I've done that. Uh, but no, left Constantine cold apparently. Uh, however... Oh. What Constantine did like, like what he really loved, apparently, was people with speech impediments. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I quote, If someone had an impediment in his speech and was unable to pronounce his words correctly, or if a man simply talked nonsense, uttering any words that chanced to come into his head, the emperor thought it highly diverting. Generally speaking, in fact, nothing was more calculated to please Constantine than the wrong use of words. Right. Yeah, bit of an odd one, isn't it? A little yeah. bit. Anyway, enter a man... He'd have loved that black anime. <laughs> yes, he would have done. Uh, enter a man named Romanos Boilus, who just so happened to fit this criteria. Uh, he soon became a favourite of the Emperor very, very quickly, much to the obvious annoyance of Celus. <laughs> I mean, Celis never says at this point that it's annoying him, but it always so obviously is. <laughs> just writes, what a d in brackets after his name. Uh, essentially, literally pages are dedicated to this man of how much oh. of a, a, a he is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, if if we take Celis literally, uh, you could be forgiven for picturing um, Romanos uh in full-on cap and bells, wearing motley kind of jester type. Yeah. He's never called Romanos by name in um, Celus, or at least not that I saw. Uh, he's always referred to as the clown. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, more likely, uh, it would appear that Romanos was just a bit of a jovial fool, uh, liked a bit of a, a lark, and uh, he had enough about him that Constantine became friends with him quite quickly. Romanos obviously wasn't an idiot, uh, because Constantine made him captain of the Imperial Bodyguard, so he had some responsibilities. Uh, but yeah, Celis just just despises him. Did you think he um, exchanged all the real swords like rubber swords, that kind of thing? Ones that squeaked? Yeah, the ones where the blade goes <laughs> into the handle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fun, fun and games. Fun and Where are these games. noses? Um, anyway, soon enough, Romanos and Constantine were best of friends. Apparently, Romanos was always around, cracking jokes, making merry. Celis uh, was utterly horrified that uh, Romanos would enter the room and just squeeze onto the same couch as the Emperor. You get the feeling in a kind of pudge up, pudge up, and just plonk himself down, put his feet up on the table and start having a chat. But if, if you'd... 
Well, yeah, he hasn't grown up with that, but that's all you get as Emperor. It must be very lonely, so just have somebody with the balls to do that. You, I get you the feeling the reason why Constantine's loving this guy so much is because, oh, great, it's a, it's a friend. It's a break from the pomp and the circumstance. Yeah. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Celis, very, very prim and proper and very <laughs> well-educated, just thought this was awful. Well, I say. Yeah. Um, anyway, Romanos was soon taking full advantage of his position. Celis uh, tells us that he would openly lie to the Emperor to get him to do things. He recounts a story about um, him managing to trick the Emperor into giving him a horse at one point. Uh, but no one dared to contradict him because he was such a favourite of the Emperor. <laughs> Um, one other thing to note, however, apparently Romanos was utterly infatuated with Constantine's mistress. Like, full-on, completely in love with her. Really? Yeah, which adds an, an interesting dynamic. It does. Anyway, at this point, the Zoe dies. princess. Oh, oh, Zoe's gone. Yes. Uh, apparently, Constantine was very upset. Celis tells us that he was in pieces about the news. Um, but as we've covered and said many times, it, they weren't like husband and wife through love. It was political, yeah. but you get the feeling they were close. They were friendly. So, yeah, he was very upset about this, but he's still got his mistress and his friend Romanos to keep him happy, so it's fun. Yeah, Joss. Yeah. yeah. Um, apparently, Constantine realised that Romanos was obsessed with his mistress. Found it quite yeah. amusing, he did. It was just sort of written off as an, an amusing jape. Uh, but um, Romanos would just just stare at her all the time whenever she was in the room. And, yeah, you get feeling things were slightly Creepy. uncomfortable for a bit. Yeah. For her, I think, more than anybody else. Yeah. Well, we don't get the full details, unfortunately, despite the fact Sella spends a long time talking about this guy. Uh, but it would appear that Romanos decided that the only way he could be with Constantine's mistress was to get rid of Constantine. So, one day, he starts no. to plot to kill him. D- okay, okay, okay. This is going to either end really badly for Romanos, <laughs> or be an unbelievable coup. <laughs> well, um, apparently he was literally hours away from executing his, uh, his plot. I, he, he had every opportunity, apparently. Romanos had free reign of the palace, uh, could come and go from the emperor's bedchambers whenever he pleased. He could go in and kill the emperor, no problem at all. Celis uh, describes how he was probably sharpening his knife um, when the plot was revealed to Constantine. Apparently Romanos had let it slip to one of his friends that he was going to do this, and uh, word reached the emperor. <sighs> A distressed Constantine ordered a trial to take place. Really? Did this happen? Um, the trial took place. He asked Romanos, who tricked you into doing this? Who who made you do this? Why is this happening? Uh, and apparently Romanos burst into tears and begged for forgiveness. Uh, it was enough. Constantine cracked and went, fine, you're forgiven. And then they had a big party. Much to Celis's outright disgust <laughs> just one hot i can imagine one page in the book just size 72 font comic sans of course like wtf at this point in the biography because this is so biased against romanos Celis so obviously hates the guy 
you've got to wonder what was going on behind the scenes. <laughs> was Romanus yeah. really plotting to kill the Emperor? I get the feeling probably not. I mean, was he set up? Uh, who knows? What, what would be the point? Yeah, unless he'd been paid I don't by know. somebody. But... It all seems very strange, doesn't it? Anyway, um, by this time, Celus and several other advisors were starting to look for ways to get away from the Emperor. Uh, his mood was starting to become unpredictable, possibly because he was in so much pain all the time. Uh, in fact, I quote Celus, The Emperor's fickleness alarmed me. He was like a soldier in war, striking out at his foes indiscriminately. It was he who set in motion the chariot of state, and of those who rode in it most were thrown overboard or struck down by him. As we too were aboard, there was every reason why we should fear the same jolt of the wheel. He might jerk us off, as well as the rest, for we were not very firmly seated. <laughs> You're laughing at the phrase jerk yourself, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are you. Yeah. You manage to hold your composure very well. <laughs> I totally am. Uh, <laughs> I must say, <laughs> shows how childish I am. Uh, I can only assume that the phrase beat him off is not a phrase in America, because <laughs> I've come across several American podcasts, history podcasts, uh, such as Mike Duncan's History of Rome, a very fine podcast, who quite often talk about how the enemy managed to beat him off uh, when talking about battles, and I always smiled. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Celus um, is a bit worried. The Emperor's not going to last much longer. Maybe I should distance myself from him, because who knows what's coming back. So he manages to get himself monked, much to the annoyance of Constantine. He didn't want his advisor to go, but there you go. Celus just gets himself out of the way, realising the ship's going down. And sure enough, not long after this, Constantine's illness became too much. His mind had started to wander by the end, uh, but apparently he came round just enough to curse his fate in 1055. And then oh. he dies. In 1055? Yeah. I should probably point out, by the way, because I'm sure there are plenty of people grabbing their phones to send us a message. Don't worry, I've not forgotten. Uh, <laughs> the previous year, in 1054, uh, there'd been an argument between the Pope and the Patriarch. Nothing we haven't seen before. We've seen arguments between uh, these heads of the religion uh, before, and it didn't seem at the time important enough even for Celis to write about, or Skylitzes. I mean, it's just not a huge event. They fall out all the time. However, we happen to know in hindsight that this particular rift never really recovers and is now given as the date of the start of the Great Schism between the East and the West Church. So this is it. This is officially where you get the Catholic West and the Orthodox East. Ooh. But as many things as this first pebble that starts an avalanche, it just wasn't really noticed at the time. Uh, however, we are going to cover it in some detail, um, just not this episode, because this is a long one. So uh, we're going to wait. So anyway, there you go. That's Constantine. What did you think of him? Um, I felt sort of sorry for him. Uh, a lot of successes, actually, in some... Yeah, quite a few successes, like, certainly militaristically. Don't really know what the people really felt, but... He got lucky a lot, is what I feel. Yeah, yeah. But also unlucky. Certainly the end, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Fightius Maximus. Okay, mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, let's... Let's put it in a flattering light. He put down three major invasions. Like, three really strong tests of his uh, 
ability to defend the Empire, and he saw them all back. Yeah, it's true. However, as soon as you start diving into the details, it becomes less uh, of a glowing report. I mean, for a start, two of those three uh, just seem to be luck. The first one, Maniakes, happened to get hit by a spear right at the mm. end of a battle that he'd won. Um, yeah. And in the third instance, Leo didn't take the city when he could have done. He just chose not to. Uh, so, I mean, but I, I mean, that's how it panned out. However, I think he can get full credit for uh, pushing back the uh, Rus. Yeah. I mean, um, he didn't even stay in the palace. He was out on the boat the night before, and then he commanded from a hill nearby. I mean, that's about as involved as you can get without physically being on a boat. No emperor does that, so... Yeah, you can definitely get fighters points for that one. I think you should you should get points for the um, when they were in, invading Constantinople as well, because you know he he had to rally his city and he managed to yes, do that. That's a very good point. Yeah, that's there was good. no morale to actually. No, we're going to throw rocks at these mothers. Yeah, you know we had Jeff sitting in a trebuchet, willing to go over. <laughs> okay, well that's all the good. Uh, even the bits where I was being negative, because there was some actual obvious bad as well. He lost against the Turks in the east. Uh, he took five years to put down the Pekanics, uh, and then had to buy them off in the end. That's not great. Uh, and then this one we didn't cover at all, just for time reasons, and also it links to um, the schism with the Pope. So I just decided to cut it out. Uh, but the Normans, uh, after... Liking the look of the place after they helped Maniaches out in South Italy and Sicily. Do you remember me hinting that they looked around going, oh, it looks nice here? Uh, yeah. Well, they were oh, back. Bonjour. They were back and they decided that southern Italy was definitely Norman land. That's what it looked like to them. So uh, they started to take it. So that's going now. And uh, it's in the process as he dies of going. This is all of Roman land in Italy going for the last time. Mm. They never get it back. So, oh, really? Yeah, that's it. Italy, Italy's gone. Uh. Yeah, the empire is certainly shrinking now. So, um, yeah, so some good bits. but Also, we're, we're nine years away from 1066 as well. We are only nine years away from 1066. We are, however, that's that's... about four episodes away from 1066. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which tells you something about the next three episodes. Uh, but yeah, we're close. Condensed. We're very close. Uh, yeah. William the Conqueror is alive at the moment. Harold II is alive at the moment. Obviously, Harold Hadrada is alive at the moment because he's in our story. But yeah. Anyway, uh, what do you think? What are you thinking? Um, I don't think you should be. I, I don't. I really don't think you should be discounted. We we gave. We're quite beneficial to. Um, even though we mentioned it, like Augustus, he is his little guy did most of it. But you know, you, you got to give credit to the figurehead. You're describing a gripper as his little guy. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. His, his little man. Yeah. <laughs> his little pocket rocket. Yeah. Incidentally, he called his penis a gripper. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I'm I'm going middle of the road. I think he did some good stuff, but there's also some very bad things. Um, yeah, pushing back three major invasions, albeit two of them civil wars. Uh, but I mean that's still good. It's still very good. Uh, yeah. But I mean losing Italy. If you're called the Roman Empire, losing Italy's not a good look. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, 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 did they really? have that much about Italy in terms of a place? Uh, enough to send Maniakes over there to try and defend it, remember? Yeah, but he revolted, so... Oh, yeah, exactly. That's why they lost As... it. <laughs> Maniakes uh, yeah, was yeah. gone. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, I think middle of the road. Um, I think that's for, fair. For an emperor who spent most of his time partying in his palace or uh, in so much pain he couldn't walk, I think a five is very good. So well done I'm there. matching that. Okay, so, next. Caprovium crazium. Okay, despite getting a lot of detail, or maybe because we get a lot of detail, we get very few stories of his craziness, which means we can perhaps be more secure with our score than we usually are. Um, sure. We do get the sense that Celis was a bit nervous to be around him at the end. Mm. That maybe some of his decisions were starting to get a bit shaky. Uh, but then maybe that was just Celis being nervous, being around uh, an obviously yeah. outgoing emperor. Um, but we do get one story you'll be pleased to hear. Ooh. Which is arguably one of the best Probium Crazium stories ever. Oh, okay, go on. It's not long, but I personally love it. I hope it involves some sort of puppet or an animal. It doesn't. Oh. It involves a fruit garden. Even better. Go on. He had a fruit garden built. Trees with many kind of fruit. So there's nothing funny or weird about that. There's nothing, nothing weird, about weird that. or funny at all. We're almost in the uh, sort of Caracalla kind of, he helped old ladies cross the road, old dear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, exactly. It's a good, good opprobrium crazium story because it starts so innocent, doesn't it? Um, In this fruit garden, with all its lovely fruit trees, he then purposely had built a very deep pond, cunningly created so the water level was perfectly level with the ground, making it actually quite hard to see. And now I'll just pass over to Celis. The result was that unless someone knew beforehand that the ground in the middle of the park had been excavated, he would walk about unsuspectingly to gather apples or pears, and then fall into the pond. Getting into deep water, he would bob up to the surface and be forced to swim out, much to the amusement of the emperor. I mean, when, when you said Caracalla levels of stuff there, I was thinking of way worse. That's just a prank. Yeah. That's a hilarious prank. <laughs> it is. That's like Elagabalus style. Yes, yes, it very much is. This is why <laughs> this is one of my favourite Probium Crazium stories. It's... <laughs> It's one you can really enjoy. Yeah. There's no part of you going, oh, I probably shouldn't be laughing at the mutilation of thousands of people. <laughs> uh, Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is just some good, wholesome humour. He literally built a, a, a watery trap inside a fruit garden, set himself up on the edge of the garden and spent his days watching people fall into a <laughs> pond. <laughs> and he did it on purpose. That is quite funny. And if he did that, there must have been other things. And you just know for a fact that um, Romanos Boilus, the clown guy, is there with him, yeah. laughing it all up as well. Celis oh, yeah. standing there very disapprovingly. Celis <gasps> probably fell in. That's probably why he hates it so much. There we go. Yeah. He fell for it and just Definitely. felt like an idiot. Yeah, that's why. And, and Romanos was there laughing at him. <laughs> Swatty Celis fell in the pond. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so that's all I've got, really. Um, I like that. I, I mean, he blinded some enemies, but who didn't? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I know it's only a very small thing, but it just really amuses me. I'm going to give a full four points for that story. Oh, I was going for five. I was thinking five. Cause... Oh, I, was, I was, but then I thought you'd tell me off for giving too many points for just one small story. No, I, I do like love, it. I do love the story. It is a good... Yeah, no, okay, I'm going for it. I'm going for five yeah, as well. For, yeah, yeah, good, good, yeah. good, good. It's almost like he gets bonus points for having good opprobrium crazium instead of bad opprobrium crazium. Yeah. Yeah. Like the uh, emperor that made silly animal noises. Oh, Getter. No, the one who oh, lived, no, he Justin, thought was a chicken. Justin too. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. it. Yeah, no, Getter just made a, a game about animal noises because he was a very yeah. interesting man. Very, 
Yeah. Anyway, I'm sort of on Caracalla's side at some points. <laughs> we can all see why he did it. He was driven to it. He was. Um, okay, that's ten for this round as well. Next. Successes Okay. I mean, he's not going to do as well here. Uh, positives, though, he refounded the university, leading to a bit of a, a bit of a uh, an intellectual golden age in the empire. Um, the reason why we got people like Celis around is because the university was uh, prominent once more. Although you could argue it was people like Celis actually was the one refounding the, the university, and Constantine just happened to be surrounded by people who wanted a university. Uh, but still, yeah. in his name. Uh, he did um, other things, such as funding the rebuilding of uh, the major church in Jerusalem, which obviously is uh, held by uh, the caliphate at the moment. But Jerusalem, all through its history, has been very multi-religious. Uh, but there had yeah. been um, uh, earthquakes recently, and a church needed to be rebuilt, so he sent the funds, which is nice, even though it's not in his empire in his religious empire. Um, <laughs> Celis tells us that he had an art for putting on games and festivities for the people. He knew how to put on a good show, which is nice. <laughs> Lots of our cold genius! Yeah, um, but I, that, that's, yeah, that's it, really. That's mm. his prose. Uh, bad, he burnt through the treasury completely, spending it on <laughs> either parties or paying off the Pekenegs. Um, you really get the feeling that he used being the emperor as his retirement. Celis uh, frequently uses the metaphor uh, that he was a ship that had come home to harbour after being in a storm. He'd been in exile, he'd hated it, and suddenly he was the emperor, so he decided to live out the rest of his life in just relaxation and having fun. You can't fun. blame him for that, yeah. can you? Uh, but what you can blame him for is the fact that the empire was significantly weaker internally and externally by the end of his rule. Uh, yeah. There, there's nothing huge. You can't really point to many things and say, this is what happened during his rule and this is why the Empire is now rubbish. Um, but the Empire's going downhill rapidly at the moment and you can definitely lay the blame at him uh, for not doing enough to try and turn the tide. As we're going to see in the next few episodes, things start going yeah. bad. And you can definitely blame Constantine for a bit of it, so... Damn you, Constantine. It's not great. I just don't think he was hugely successful. He turned back the Rus, but he got fighty points for that. Um, oh, well, the Empire's smaller as well, physically. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give him three. Uh, oh, that's weird. That's very really weird. <laughs> it's almost as if we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I was thinking four, and I thought, no, that's too much, three. Fair enough. Okay. But I, sh I shall match that. So, what's it, 26 is on now? Image of Ooh, I like the fact he's carrying a big bag of cash or a giant garlic. <laughs> I think it's safe oh, to say that's hell. a giant garlic. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So, this is the other half of that mosaic that's in the Hajj Sphere that we uh, oh. looked at last episode with Zoe. There we go. We've now got the other half. Um, as per usual, I purposely don't research the images because I just want to judge the image. Um, but. Mm. I did accidentally stumble across uh, something that I briefly mentioned last time, that it is believed that this was actually made before Constantine was the emperor, and this is actually a mosaic of one of Zoe's previous husbands, and they just hacked off the face and put Constantine's face on it. <laughs> now you've said that, it does look a bit sort of... I don't want to say the word photoshopped, but... <laughs> 
yeah, the, the face looks far more uh, finely done than the rest of his body, doesn't it? There's like a perfect, almost like a chiselled out outline around it <laughs> yeah. as well. Yeah. Still, it's it's good stuff. I am impressed. Yeah. These, uh, these are a good pair of mosaics. I think it is only fair that he gets the same I gave uh, Zoe, because it impresses yeah. me as much. Um, he's got a, a kind-looking face, a beard... His massive garlic. He might even get a bonus point because he's holding a massive garlic. <laughs> I think you should have bonus points for that. Yeah. I agree. Uh, what did I give him last? What did I give Zoe last time? Well, Zoe, you gave Zoe 10 last time. Oh, no bonus point then. I'll stick with the 10. But in my head, I... bonus point for garlic. Well, I, I only gave Zoe a 9. Okay. So if I give the bonus point of 10. Excellent. There we go. Okay. Um, if you are if you want to see the massive garlic, uh, this is the picture that's on his Wikipedia page. So just look on Constantine's Wikipedia page. You'll, you'll see the massive garlic. So, there you go. Temple completed. How long are you thinking? I think at least ten years. Yes, it is at least ten years. In fact, it's a little bit more. From oh. 1042 to 1055. So that is 13 years. Wow. Pretty good. And if you run that through our calculator, that is 1.63. So that gives him a total score of 32.63. Not bad. Not a, That's pretty good. Not a bad score. Do you now see why that historian Finley at the start was saying, why Why is there so much uh, stuff on this guy? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, it's like, he's not terrible, but he's not spectacular. Uh, but we've just got reams of information on him. Do you know what? It's almost made him less interesting. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Because we can't speculate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know exactly why it happens. Because um, if you said, oh yeah, he was ill, he had an illness in his life, oh, what was that? We could have, yeah. you know, had some fun. Uh, but no, no, we know no. It's, it's gouty pain. Yeah. That's what it is. But we did get the description of the fingers, so swings and roundabouts. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but we've got, we've got a question. We've got a question. Do they have a certain je ne sais We've got a question, but the answer is no. No, it's it's not it's not good enough. I mean, I I love no. the story uh, of the garden. Um, I like the fact he got quite lucky, but that's that's not Jenny Caesar, though, is it? Getting lucky, unless you're getting really lucky. Uh, no. no, no, not good enough. So that is a no from me and a no from you. Ah well. Ah well. Never mind. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, don't forget you can download some Poppy iTunes and Stitcher, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and also Instagram if you don't. You don't need to, but you can if you want. Yeah, no, you actually you did one, didn't you? You set it up. We've got an Instagram. Years ago, yeah. Um, and but I didn't you do something? I, I recently started going re-going on it, um, and every now and again I put something up. But I have literally never been on Instagram in my life. Uh, you don't I need have to. Never seen our Instagram account. You don't need to. Uh, or, or actually, no, don't, because you might get offended. Okay, <clears throat> I, I won't go on that. It's fine. I, I, I happily squat on our Twitter account. It's fine. Yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> right, so there we go. Um, we are going to be doing Theodora next. Ooh. Oh, yes. Um, shorter episodes, so we might be able to squeeze in some of the other things that we've kind of had to gloss over, like the Great Schism, who knows. Um, but also, this means we are coming to the end of the Macedonian dynasty, uh, the the dynasty that started with Basil all that time ago. It's uh, there's a reason why it's held up as one of the greatest dynasties because there's been a lot of good information. But we're coming to the end, so I think it's about time we do some Roman Republic episodes. Yeah, I think that's good. It's, it's been a while, uh, and I was thinking this, and then I thought, 
I don't know what to do. Uh, so it's over to you guys. I, I'm going to put up on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, here's my ideas because it's been so long since we did the Scipio episodes as like a mini series. Um, they were good. They were good. Um, I'm thinking instead of doing a Roman Republic episode, I think we do another mini series. Might not be quite as long as Scipio's mini series, but uh, it'll be at least two or three episodes. So what do you want it on? Here are my ideas so far. You could either have a mini series on the Catos. That is Cato the Elder, and we can see why he was uh, going against Scipio. Um, and then we could go to Cato the Younger and see why he was going against Caesar. And it would kind of bridge the two different um, eras we've covered in our Republican episodes. Plus we get to see an amazing death saying no more. No spoilers for Jamie. Uh, <laughs> that's option one. Option number two we could do a mini-series on Cicero and the Catiline Conspiracy, where we also do Catiline as well. So we'll do two people. Uh, not sure how I'd do it yet. Um, maybe start Cicero's life, then we could do Catiline, and then end Cicero's life. I don't know, uh, but maybe something like that. Or, option number three, um, although I'm open to other options. Uh, the mythical rise of Rome. This is when we get Ooh. to know our, like, our Cincinnatus and th those uh, mythical, semi-mythical, almost completely mythical uh, Romans right from the start of the, the Roman Republic era. Uh, so, yeah, we could have maybe a, a series of, of, of some of those big names from the past. So, hmm. which one of those would take your fancy? Any ideas from you, Jamie? Um, I think it'd be interesting to look at the the, the, the Cato um, element and, you know, seeing how that bridges the two different areas of history and, you know, the politics behind that is, of course, very... In I'm, I have no idea, Rob, I'm speaking okay, rubbish. That's fine, that's okay. Whatever you want to do, I'll sit and listen. Well, I, I will be putting that up on Twitter and Facebook at some point over the next week or so. Um, so we will be starting that soon. If you want to listen to them, join our Senate. Uh, dollar a month. Easy. Easy peasy. Yeah. Uh, but they won't be out for a while. We'll certainly let you know when they will be. Right. Okay, then. Um, until then, all that needs to be said... Ow, my joints! Goodbye. Goodbye. Right, stand up straight. I'm here to inspect the trenches. I, I'm terribly sorry. We've worked all night. And this is all we've managed to do. This is... Oh... Well, looking on the bright side, it's definitely a trench. It's it's barely a ditch, sir. There's no way we can use this to protect ourselves from the enemy. No, it's definitely a trench. It's definitely definitely a a, a trench. I think it perfectly fits the criteria of a six seven one B four seven trench. What? It fits the criteria. I th I think this is a trench. I'm gonna tick it off right now. You can't tick this. This isn't a trench. It's a small ditch. Look, that you see that twig there. Yes. It shouldn't be able to act as a bridge for the ants crossing it. To be honest, the whole thing looks like a horse came along and scuffed the floor slightly. It's, it's, if it was raining, it would barely be a puddle. Oh, I think this is a very dangerous trench. Look, I, I shall climb into it. What do you mean you're climbing? You took one step to the left.
Yes, but my heel is very wet. Dangerously but, so. Sir, you're approximately two inches taller than me, and I'm still looking up to see you. I think this trench is absolutely meeting all the criteria needed, and I'm going to sign it off. Here's my pen. Moving it closer, and as I move it closer, you must be thinking in your head, oh, as soon as he's signed this, battle is going to start. <laughs> so here we go. Wait, you, give me that. Give me that. There. Ah, ah my, my pen, it's, it's in the trench. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, but I feel very strongly about this. I, I can't let you sign that. But how am I going to get my pen? I'm going to have to kneel down and lean in. Ben! Ben! I need a ladder and a rope! What? Look, here's, here's your pen. If you really need your pen back, I'm No, you I'm don't you go near the... No! Help! I'm in the trench! I, I can't swim! Sir, you're still stood next to me. I can't hear you from all the splashing water! Oh dear, we're all going to die, aren't we? Oh, I still feel like I'm about to sneeze. Look at light, look at light. <laughs> look up as well if you can. If you can? Are you doubting my ability to look? I don't know. <laughs>